This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I am Oren McIntyre. So pretty hilarious here recently, tragic and hilarious. MSNBC ran a segment uh, featuring a Politico journalist because journalists are just the best people in the world. And the political journalist had just got done writing a piece on the dangers of Christian nationalism, how Donald Trump is surrounding himself with Christian nationalists. The Christian nationalists are coming for your children. It's you're only one minute away from the handmaid's tale and you must defeat Donald Trump or you will forever be locked in chains and made subservient to Christian nationalists. And while sounding this alarm, the MSNBC guest, the, the uh, writer over at uh, Politico, warned about the dangers of, of this belief. This, I don't know if you guys have heard of this very radical idea, the notion that rights come from God, not from people, not from the government, but from God. Very radical, very crazy, uh, wild idea. Can't believe that these new Christian nationalists have come up with this. Obviously, uh, you guys know that this is this is in the Declaration of Independence and many other places. Uh, there's a lot of problems here. I want to I want to run down what uh, Heidi Prisbala said on MSNBC, the ideology she's attempting to refute, which happens to be the ideology of the American founding. And a lot of problems that people have with, with kind of their conception of rights, natural law, and probably most importantly, what governments actually do. So I'm going to get into all that, guys. But before we do, let's go ahead and hear from one of today's sponsors. Hey, guys, I need to tell you about today's sponsor, New Founding Talent. Look, we all know that the job market is a disaster right now. Based people can't find good companies to work for and good companies can't find anybody to get the job done. The competency crisis is very, very real. So how do we get these two incredibly important groups together? We need organizations like New Founding. New Founding has created a network of high excellence professionals who are seeking to join grounded American businesses. These are individuals, often in elite organizations, who are ready for a team and a mission that supports their values instead of working against them. Aligned companies are already using this network to hire high-trust, exceptional individuals who can match the culture and mission of their teams. So if you're looking for better employees to build a better world, you need to go ahead and apply for access to the New Founding Talent Network at newfounding.com backslash talent. You'll get connected with candidates who will build your business. That's newfounding.com backslash talent. Check it out today. All right, guys. So let me just go ahead and play you a little bit of this clip of Heidi Prisbala on MSNBC. Watch everyone just kind of nodding along as if she's not saying something absolutely insane. And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, 
because Christian nationalists is very different, mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that. Very dangerous idea, guys. The The idea that our rights don't come from a government, don't come from Congress, don't come from a Supreme Court. They come from God. This is a incredibly radical view. This is insane. These, these crazy Christian nationalists have infected the United States. They're going to be coming in under the Trump administration. Now, why would you say this, <laughs> right? This is insane, right? Okay. Just just a quick quote from the Declaration of Independence, just so we're all on the same page. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? Just very basic, the kind of thing that you learn in elementary school. Uh, I know, because I, I taught, uh, well, I taught high school, but I taught this kind of thing all the time. Like, even in public schools, we still teach this idea about where rights come from. We still treat, uh, teach American school children, believe it or not, even in, in our incredibly communist school system, we still teach children that natural rights are given to them by their creator and can't be taken away by the government. That, that's still the way that we teach the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the founding documents of the United States. So the idea that Heidi Prisbala would get on television and say, this is radical. This is crazy. Christians may not believe this because remember, she says there's a big difference between Christians and Christian nationalists. And, you know, the Christians <laughs> might not believe this, but the crazy Christian nationalists, they don't think their rights come from a Congress. They don't think their rights come from the Supreme Court. And where did they get that wild idea? Where did they get that insane piece of rhetoric? Well, they got it from... Thomas Jefferson from the Declaration of Independence from the founding documents of the United States. So very interestingly, Heidi Prisbala, who is warning everybody about the, the evil dangers of Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism is coming for all of your rights. It's going to destroy your country. It's going to become a theocracy. And the way, and the example she gives, the, the dangerous belief that binds all these Christian nationalists together is that they agree with the founding fathers like verbatim, not, not, not in some way that you can kind of debate. It's not like it's an edge case. It's not like uh, you know, the, the declaration was really fuzzy on this. The explicit understanding of rights handed down by the founding fathers. Now we could go into whether that's the correct understanding or not, and we will a little bit later. But the idea that this is some radical idea, that this is something that Christian nationalists have come up with and are pushing down on people is absolutely insane. And she's directly arguing that that's the case, right? And she's sitting on a panel with, you know, guys who are like, used to be the head of the Republican National Committee. And nobody's saying, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. You're just, you're just quoting the Declaration of Independence and calling it Christian nationalism. Because you would think if you're on, on MSNBC, you would like to, I don't know, separate the idea of the Christian founding of the country from Christian nationalism. But of course, they deny the Christian founding of the country. And so any acknowledgement of Christianity in the founding of the United States is a problem for them. So even, even guys like Michael Steele would, would, would rather you, I guess, forget that the founding fathers were actually pretty invested in this notion of rights. And this reveals a couple of funny things. First, it reveals the fact that 
the entire debate over Christian nationalism is just insane, right? I did a thread on this on Twitter and, and, and really just explained that the only reason we have any kind of debate over the idea of Christian nationalism is that at some point we made the idiotic choice of embracing the idea of neutral institutions. Sorry, but even the classically liberal founding fathers knew that moral uh, that morals would be injected into their institutions. They understood that their founding documents and the different parts of the United States that would operate would need to have some kind of moral framework. And they explicitly made it clear, people like, you know, uh, uh, like John Adams made it very clear that that framework would be Christian in nature, that it would rely on the morality brought forward by things like the Ten Commandments in the Bible. This was very clearly brought about you know, by, by the founding fathers. They understood 100% that these institutions would be neutral. The only reason that those uh, could not be neutral, the only reason those institutions ever felt neutral to us at any point was that we shared these values. We shared a basically universal understanding that America was a Christian country and more specifically, a Protestant Christian country. Now, that doesn't mean that you couldn't be Catholic or it doesn't even mean that you could be Jewish or something else and come to the United States and live under it. However, you would have to conform to the Christian understanding, specifically the Protestant understanding of, the, of morality, of a moral vision of what the country should be. If you couldn't do that, then you would have a hard time operating inside the United States. This was a basic building block of our identity as a nation, of our founding, of the creation of our documents, of our institutions, the whole thing. The only problem with Christian nationalism is that it you know, is a catchphrase that otherizes what is the historical context for all of American political formation. There, there is no other context other than a Christian nation in which you can understand the documents and beliefs of the United States. And so it's very clear what the left is trying to do with this idea of Christian nationalism. They're trying to drive out any understanding that the United States could, could be influenced by Christianity. They feel like they won, and they, they, they feel this correctly. The left feel like they won a holy war against Christianity and that they defeated it. And that's tough for a lot of people here, but that's true in a lot of ways. The left successfully drove when we decided that separation of church and state is a thing which isn't in the Constitution at all, by the way. It's in a separate letter that, that has no bearing on the Constitution. But once we decided that the idea of separation of church and state meant that you could not have any traditional religion inside our institutions, then naturally something else had to fill the void because there is no such thing as a neutral institution. They do not exist. Your government cannot be neutral. It cannot be objective. It has to have some framework, some reference for what it is doing, what the good is, what it is pursuing. And if that framework is not Christian, it will be something else. And so once we effectively banned, we interpret, reinterpreted radically our constitution to say that it banned Christianity from the public square and for it to be relevant in any of our decision-making, then some other form of moral vision, some other religion had to take over. Now, a lot of people don't like uh, wokeness being called a religion. They say it doesn't have all the tenets. It doesn't have all the pieces. It's not a true religion. And they're right. It doesn't have all of those things. But that is the function it's serving. Whether you like 
the fact that it's a hollowed out version, a terrible, uh, cheap version of religion doesn't really matter. I get your argument. It's fair. It's not a real religion. Okay. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is that it's functioning as a religion and it's filling the void that a religion plays in all of our institutions and our culture. And the fact that we got rid of Christianity meant that eventually some secular religion, the, you know, the, the progressive religion, the woke religion would have to enter these institutions and animate them. And so the left are freaking out because they don't want Christianity to return to the public square. They said, we beat this. It's over. It's done. We've had this debate. It's illegal for you to have your Christianity in, the, in these institutions. Wokeness, progressivism is the only acceptable religion. What they're worried about is that heretics will come back into power. What they're worried about is that their hard-fought victory against an opposing religion could be devastating. And you can tell here because she's directly arguing against the Declaration of Independence. Word for word verbatim. Again, not this is this is not some, you know, this is not some obscure uh, you know, or vague understanding. This is not some confusing complex. She is arguing against the text of the Declaration of Independence and the exact words of what the founders said about where rights come from. There's no question here. This is not up for debate. It's very obviously what she's doing. Why does she feel confident about that? Why does she feel like she can do that? Because in her mind, this is a defeated religion. The founding is done. The left has replaced the story of the founding of the United States with a new story. And that new story is the civil rights revolution. The United States is no longer a country founded on the idea that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That is no longer the story of the United States. The story of the United States is that the United States is an evil place, born in sin and iniquity, the original sin of racism. And that slavery, which you know is a human institution for basically the entirety of our existence, was suddenly actually created on the shores of North America. And that America is uniquely evil for its past of slavery and racism. And the only thing that can possibly atone is the continual work, the Sisyphean effort to remove every last little bit of bias or racism from the souls of our country. And so the civil rights revolution the idea that we will find new and more important rights over and over again, every generation, find a new way to destroy that old hate and replace this old, racist, bigoted, white background and replace it with more diversity and more rights. That is the story of the United States. And they've replaced the founding of the United States with that story. And they are sure not going to let you come back and they're not going to let some little thing like the Declaration of Independence and the actual words on the parchment keep them from holding that story away at bay and replacing it with their new one. Because they understand the power of the narrative. They understand the power of the United States having a central moral narrative about what it, about what it is and what it should become. And they are dead set on making sure that the old version never returns. Now, I want to go ahead 
and play the rest of this video because Prisbala got really worked up. She's like, oh, people took this clip out of context because she only I, I took the first 20 seconds that got a lot of play on Twitter. And that's what I played for you first. But I pulled the white the wider clip because she's oh, there's more context. I'm going to warn you. There is more context and none of it helps her out. So I'm going to play some more of that in a second, guys. But before I do, let's hear from ISI. Universities today aren't just neglecting real education. They're actively undermining it. And we can't let them get away with it. America was made for an educated and engaged citizenry. The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference. Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, go to isi.org. That's isi.org. All right, so like I said, let's go ahead and listen to the rest of this video because I certainly don't want to give her short shrift. Uh, you need to hear every bit of this. Uh, you'll understand that uh, it was not taken out of context and the context does not help her here. That is that they are determining man Men, mm -hmm. it is men, yeah, yeah. are determining what God is telling them. And in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism. For that so-called natural law, which she correctly identifies as a pillar of Catholicism and a lot of other thought, you, you could argue it goes all the way back to Aristotle, uh, but it's certainly a central part of Christian thought. Uh, but this so-called natural law has to be interpreted by men well yeah the whole the whole notion of natural laws it's observable by men and available to us through reason well let's hear a little more because again it's not going to get any better for her catholicism for instance it's been used for good in social justice campaigns right. martin luther king evoked it in talking about civil rights but now you have an extremist element of conservative can she not say extremist or is that like a, is this like the Carnegie foundation? Is it Carnegie? It's Carnegie. It depends on how upper class you want to sound. It could be extremist. Uh, yeah. The, the idea that natural law is only good. It's only valuable when it says the things I wanted to say. So natural law is fine when it's being invoked by MLK for, you know, civil rights, but all of a sudden you can't talk about natural law when we're talking about any other political issue. So her problem, to be really clear, is not natural law in theory. She, she's fine if natural law is being in, invoked into politics. In fact, she has no problem with Christian nationalism as long as it's being used by, I guess, Martin Luther King. Now, I've done an entire episode uh, on uh, Martin Luther King and his very unorthodox views on many things, including marital fidelity and the kind of fact that he didn't really believe in Christianity. However, he certainly invoked it. He certainly knew how to 
invoke Christianity when he gave his speech. And to the extent in which he was invoking it in the civil rights movement, she's fine with that. So her problem is, to be clear, not Christian nationalism at all. She's actually just fine with the invocation of biblical values, as long as she thinks they're helping her current political, uh, uh, her current political propaganda. Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that, as you see, for instance, with the ruling in Alabama right. this week, that judge is connected to that dominionist uh, faction mm -hmm. in talking about um, a lot of other issues, including surrogacy, IVF, uh, you know, sex education in schools. It, it, there's a lot in addition. Again, so we're really terrified. It's, it's a terrifying moment here. Because Christians might apply Christian values to the things that they vote for, which is, again, the whole point, in theory, of voting, right? It's the whole point of having a democracy. I'm not a big democracy fan, but if you are, this is the whole point, is that your values will be reflected in the way you vote, and your worldview will be shaped by, well, your religion. Now, again, she was more than fine with Martin Luther King's worldview being shaped by religion. She's fine with it being uh, the Catholic idea of social justice. She's fine with the Catholic idea of social justice when it's creating the kind of program she wants. But when the Catholic idea of natural law is not just applied to the social justice activism that she wants, but it's also applied to abortion or other things, all of a sudden this is a huge problem. So there's her own admitted lack of any kind of consistency it's very clearly just her political preference she has no actual interest in getting rid of christian nationalism or restricting a christian idea if it helps her out if it builds the kind of world she's hoping for she doesn't have any problem there she understands its value and this is you see this so often with democrats like oh christian nationalism is terrifying now let me go give a speech at this black church right because what they're really saying is they hate white evangelicals. And that's really what she's worrying about here. This is what she's warning about. I was uh, recently on my buddy Steve, uh, Steve Dace's show, and we were talking about this. And, and I made this point, as I've made it a number of time, times on the show as well. This entire thing, this entire narrative, the whole reason that the left is doing this is simply that they want to go ahead and conflate Christian nationalism with white nationalism. That's it. They know that white evangelicals are pretty pro-Trump, that they're going to vote for the, him no matter what. They're not going to lose that voting base no matter or what, because they were never going to have it in the first place. And so they might as well just go ahead and attack them and create a lot of hatred. They also know that the FBI and the DHS and all these other organizations are pretty much weapons free when it comes to attacking white nationalists. They know that banks can debank them. They know that people can fire them. They know that they can more or less throw them in jail without any kind of reason because nobody likes them. And so if you can go ahead and make Christian nationalists white nationalists, then you can basically say we can do anything to these people. And that means we can do anything to Trump supporters because these people are all Trump supporters. And that's actually what's going on here. There's no real problem. I mean, she hates Christianity. Don't get me wrong. It, it, maybe she likes it in, in you know the the way that you know, you can radically reinterpret it to prop up whatever kind of uh, progressive worldview you're currently hawking. But in the actual Christianity, consistent application of like she said, natural law is terrifying to her, right? Because natural law, ooh, very scary. 
this idea of natural law. These people think their rights come from natural law and not from uh, the Supreme Court or Congress. So to be clear, uh, Prisbala would be fine if the Supreme Court said, I don't know, no abortion, right? Since that's where rights come from, she would be fine with that because that's where rights actually come from. They don't come from God. There's no, there's nothing outside of Congress or the, the Supreme Court. So if the Supreme Court goes ahead and rules and gets rid of affirmative action or gets rid of Roe versus Wade or some of the other things that she holds sacred, well, she's fine with that, right? No, of course not, right? Because she has a worldview. She has a religion. And she believes thoroughly that she has rights, whether they're codified in a declaration or in a constitution or in a bill of rights or in any given amendment or in any kind of law. She doesn't care because she knows that she has a particular worldview that she's trying to make this country conform to. And she is pushing for that relentlessly. And when it's useful to cite the constitution or the bill of rights or you know some idea of natural law, then she'll do that. And when it's not useful, when those things are in the way, she'll say that there are radical tenants dreamed up by Christian nationalism three minutes ago. Because there is no principle here outside of the fact that she wants to go ahead and force her understanding of the world on everyone else. Because guess what, guys? And this is, this is just the truth. That's what politics is. Politics is the battle for what's going to be the shared value. And the reason, to the extent which democracy can work, to the extent where you can have a dialogue over differences of opinion and come to a resolution, the extent which that can happen, it's only because you have a, a firm grounding in a larger shared belief. You have a set of axioms to which you hold. These are things that are undebatable, things that are unassailable, things that cannot be destroyed through argumentation. These are the things that you never question, okay? And everybody has them. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what any garbage people tell you about, oh, I'm a free thinker and I question everything. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you probably don't question the idea that you could question everything and that you should have free speech and you should be able to think about all these things. You don't question it all. There have to be things on which you stand. There has to be some kind of foundational belief. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And to the extent which your country is founded on a particular set of core beliefs and understandings that give them a shared worldview, you could have some back and forth on some of the details. You can have some level of debate. There is some level of wiggle room on how you're going to apply things, what the best way to pursue them is. But that only works if you continue to have that shared vision. If you have that set foundation on which you can build and you have that shared understanding of the good and what you should be pursuing, then there can be some level of negotiation debate about how that's going to get applied. But when your worlds are so radically apart and so radically separated 
that there's nothing shared, there's no value shared between each other, then all you're doing is having a battle over whose values will reign supreme. It's a zero-sum game. There is no negotiation because there can be no objectivity. You can have no objectivity. You can have no sweet center between people with radically different ideas like there are only two sexes and eight-year-olds should be getting puberty blockers until they figure out what gender they want to go ahead and live their life as. There is no middle ground there. There is no area for debate. There is no shared understanding that can let you navigate those two extremes. And that's exactly where we are. And so Prisbala, you know, again, she's more than happy to invoke the idea of natural law, the idea that there are these observable truths about humanity that are evident and inform the way that we order our society. She's fine invoking that as long as she thinks it's furthering a civil rights movement or some level of social justice. But the minute that it would have other implications for other political issues where she's not in line with that current doctrine, well, all of a sudden it needs to be vacated. It's a radical, radical idea. Now, in response to this, a number of people, understandably, got a little upset. And they said things like, the government exists only to secure rights. That's it. And those rights have to come from God. They can't come from anywhere else. Those rights have to come from God. And I want to get into that a little bit because there's some truth to that, but there's also, I think, some problems with that. And uh, this might be getting me in trouble with some people because I'm about to, to question a few assertions in the Declaration of Independence itself. And uh, that that's, that's going to put us... Uh, in some exciting ground, but I think it's necessary. So I'm going to go ahead and bring that up real quick because I think we, we need to understand uh, some of the problems with that assertion. So uh, obviously we're probably familiar with a lot of the declaration here, but let's go ahead and read through a little bit again. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve their political bands, uh, which they have connected, uh, which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them, a, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So right there, he's clearly citing natural law, right? There are laws of nature and nature's God. So again, this so-called natural law, you mean the one cited directly in the opening paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, that so-called natural law, she's literally just arguing against the Declaration of Independence. Again, it's, it's not some level of nuance. She just hates the founding documents. She just hates America, which is what progressives do. They hate America and they want to replace the founding story. The founding story is one they do not like, and they want to replace it with the Civil Rights Revolution. You notice that everything that she invoked, everything she said that natural law would uh, would uh, endanger, oh, this Christian understanding of rights, that rights come from God and not from Congress or from the Supreme Court, which again, she doesn't believe anyway, because the minute the Supreme Court disagrees with her, she's not going to, she's not going to uh, invest in it, but whatever. She says the institutions of the country are the things that dictate your rights, which is the exact opposite, literally the exact opposite of what the founding fathers said. They said, actually, these things are uh, the you know law, law of nature and nature, uh, nature's God. Now, 
to be clear, this is this is Jefferson. This is the Declaration of Independence uh, explaining why it needs to exist in the first place, right? If we're going to break away from England, we should probably tell you why, and we're and we're uh, we're compelled to do that by the laws of nature and nature's God. Uh, that that's what he's saying here. Uh, but obviously, if he's citing that here, he delete he believes in that in a larger context, right? It's it's not going to be. Uh, restricted only to the fact that we should probably write a declaration of independence. And then he says here, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I want to, I want to talk about this phrase right here. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Now this is often just read verbatim without a lot of thought. And I understand why it says self-evident. It should be self-evident, right? But we need to think about how things are self-evident. How can anything be self-evident? Well, for something to be self-evident, we all have to share a similar observation. We all have to look at the same thing and understand it the same way. We all need some level of self-evident truth. We can't reason out every aspect of society because you can't reason out your first principles. That's not actually something you can do. You can't a priori create all of these things. You actually need to come at reason from something. You have to have a shared understanding of the world to reason from. Otherwise, you can't communicate it with people. So how are things self-evident? Well, the way you get something that is self-evident is you share a worldview. You share a understanding of the way the world should be. You share a tradition. Traditions are what create something that is self-evident. Now, you might say, well, that can't be right. I mean, uh, there are certain things that everybody understands. Guys, I need you to look at any kind of history, okay? There are certain things that people understand. Like, if you throw something up, it will fall down. Now, maybe we wait till Isaac Newton before we call it gravity, but pretty much everyone can understand that level of natural law, right? However, you need to look at older civilizations. There were many civilizations in Central America that just sacrificed thousands of people. One of the reasons it was easy for the conquistadors to conquer in Central America was that all of the neighbors were tired of being sacrificed on altars, okay? If you look at the Romans, and there's a pretty common practice of simply exposing unwanted infants to nature. If you didn't want your child, you just left them to die. And that was not considered particularly immoral. That was just the way it was done. Now you might look at a dying infant on the side of a road, an infant left in the wilderness to die or being smashed on the tarpian rock or innocent people being sacrificed by the thousands to please, you know, some god and say to yourself well, that's self-evidently wrong. Or maybe, you know, the enslavement of lots of people. That's self-evidently wrong. But actually, it's not. It's not self-evidently wrong. If you don't have a shared tradition, if you don't have an understanding that binds your community together, then those things aren't actually evident. They're not actually something that everyone understands. And so you have to have a shared tradition to understand what is self-evident. Now, it may have been self-evident to the founders 
that the people in America were created equal and had these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're, of course, ripping this from John Locke, right? But it wouldn't have been self-evident to pretty much anyone else prior to history. The idea of these natural rights, and that wasn't very clear. Now, again, they had been invoked to some level, I guess you could say, with Thomas Aquinas. That's obviously where a lot of natural law theory comes from. Some people will, again, take it all the way back to Aristotle, though there's a question of kind of natural law and natural rights there and them being different things. But we could spend a lot of time on that. The point being, these things are not as clear unless you put them in a particular tradition if you tie them to a particular understanding of the world, they can't actually universalize the way that many people want them to, the way many conservatives want them to. Because if you try to universalize them, we end up where we are now, okay? You have to pull them out of their context, even their Christian context, if you want to go ahead and universalize them. And that's exactly what she's trying to do here. That's exactly what Heidi Prisbala was trying to do. These rights need to be ripped out of their Christian context. They can't exist solely in the Christian context. Maybe Martin Luther King invoked this idea of natural law and the and these natural rights back when he was trying to uh, you know, push this onto a Christian audience. But we don't need that Christian stuff anymore because we won. The progressives won the, the, uh, the religious war. We are the victors now. Our ideology reigns supreme. And we don't need these, uh, we don't need these understandings anymore to get to where we're getting. So the self-evident truth is critical, but it's critical only in so much as you have a shared understanding of the world. If you don't share values, if you don't share those core bedrock axioms, things are not self-evident. They can't be. There can only be self-evident truth when you share an understanding, a moral framework, a vision for your country, for your people. And that's what they're invoking here. And that, that's really important. Uh, all right, so a li little more here, because again, I wanted to talk about where uh, what governments do and where rights come from. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of a government becomes destructive to these ends, it is to the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizations uh, and organizing its power in such a form as to uh, them uh, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, uh, uh, that sentence right there is dangerous to our current regime, which is one of the reasons that they do not want you looking at the Declaration of Independence, to be quite frank. This document is an incendiary document. It was back then, and it still is today. And if you look at what this document says, it is very dangerous to our current, re current regime which is why they need to invalidate it. That's why Heidi Prisbal is very worried about Christian nationalism. And by that, she means basic American values. She's very worried about the return of the actual values of the United States. Now, I want to talk about something here, and this is, this is what's going to be controversial. But it says uh, that whenever any form of, or sorry, before that, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. All right, so this is uh, this is a little bit of a problem uh, because a lot of people say, "Oh, well, the uh, 
you know, governments only exist to secure my rights. Sorry, but that's not true. I know uh, heresy here, but that's not true. The gov the American government does not exist to secure rights. It has never existed to secure rights. And the idea that the American government exists to secure rights is what gets you the civil rights revolution. What's the, what's the new story, guys? What's the new story of the United States? Oh, it's the never-ending quest for rights. That if our government isn't always and forever searching out new and more obscure rights to grant to people, then it has no right to exist, right? And so if you take this in isolation and you make this the entire mission of the United States and its government, then you get the global American empire. You get the pride flag flowing, flying over our consulates, uh, our embassies in every nation. This is the current story of America. And not only, do, do, not only does America exist only to secure rights and find more rights and force more rights down your throat at the point of a gun, but it has to do that to every other nation too. It has to invade every other nation so that it can also apply those rights there, right? That, that's, the, that's the argument we're now getting. Why do we have to go to Ukraine? Well, a lot of reasons, but one of them is Vladimir Putin doesn't like the LGBTQ people too much. And so we have to go to war to defend those rights in what, Ukraine? That's literally... One of, one of the key arguments that people use, that the left uses for their uh, interest in regime change. So here's what governments actually do. Here, 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 are what, here are what governments really, here's what governments really do. What governments actually do is secure a monopoly on force to bring order to an area, and then they extract benefits for their, uh, for their key clients through taxes. That's a really cynical thing. Like I understand that that's a that there there is a danger in being too reductive, but at the core this is what governments actually do. If you look at the work of Bertrand de Juvenal, he talks about this and you'll see this reflected in the work of many libertarians like Hoppe who was a, you know more or less more or less regurgitating a large amount of Bertrand de Juvenal in Democracy the God that Failed. But governments, this is, and I got a lot of cheers from, from libertarians when I put this out on Twitter, but governments start as criminal enterprises. The, the, the beginning of the government is, it's the roaming war band that comes in and takes over and secures control of an area and decides instead of moving on to go ahead and ta tax the people. And then they realize that actually when you're taxing these people, if you're going to take some of the, what they make rather than just take it all because yeah, we could keep raiding, we could keep roaming or whatever, but actually it's much easier to go ahead and stay in place and, and, and you know, regularly collect these taxes and just protect this area. It, at some point you figure out that actually the best thing to do is not just to protect, you know, protect the area, but you actually start caring about the well-being of the people because, yeah, well, if we're going to be ruling this area for a long time and we're going to be extracting wealth from it, then the better off these people are, the more wealth we can extract. And I'm going to be handing this down to my children and my grandchildren. and so. Therefore, it makes sense for me to go ahead and actually care intergenerationally about the good of these people. And if we do this for long enough, then eventually, actually, what we end up with is a government that starts caring in general about the people and their welfare, not just from a material benefit, though that it does give them a material benefit, 
but they actually start caring about them on like a real level because they're you know become bound their prosperity becomes bound to these people and as the juvenile says in on power this is where the spirit of the rex is born this is where the idea of the actual monarch the real true king is born because it's that it's once the government starts feeling like it shares a destiny with the people that the good of the people and the good of the rulers are one that's when we get the best governance that's when we get the best results from government now the nice thing about the american government is early on this was kind of true from the beginning we didn't need a roving war band to go ahead and secure the american uh state that's kind of one of the th- reasons i think that we probably get to uh kind of pretend a little bit of this as we skip some of the starting steps you know the the british had already come in uh the americans had worked at british as british colonists to settle a large amount of this they had already kind of cut this swath uh out out of uh you know a certain amount of of uh of the northeast and uh they had expanded it out and this had become the united states or what would become the united states and so that was already the case and so what was happening in the united states is that a lot of the people who had already had British values, right? They had already come from uh, England. They they had moved here in many cases because they were religious extremists who couldn't practice their religion in England. They had moved to the United States and they had started to build their own culture. The, the, the government they had no longer uh, was one that shared the same moral vision that they did. Their moral vision had diverged from the British understanding, primarily because the British didn't understand didn't understand the americans perhaps as british citizens due to where they lived i mean they did to some degree but not entirely they didn't they didn't think that they had exactly the same uh, the same relationship with the crown and so the americans were kind of had you know because they had been so far away for so long they started to develop this shared moral vision which was separate from the british one in fact in some ways it was the hyper british one Many people don't know this, but Montesquieu, who is a heavy influence on uh, the shaper, the, the shapers of our constitution, drew his inspiration from the British government. So, in many ways, our government was already modeled on the British government with just, you know, some more substitutions. They they liberalized it in many ways, and so they were they were taking this idea that was already very British in its nature, but had diverged significantly enough to create a separate moral vision, a separate worldview. And that's what sparked a lot of the American Revolution. Now, some people get angry about the American Revolution. Was it justified another time? I I tend to say yes, because they had lost the mandate of heaven. The the British had lost the mandate of heaven. They they no longer um, kind of shared a worldview with with the United States, or what would become the United States, the British colonists at that time. And that's why they ended up being overthrown. But again, we, we could debate that for a long time. The point being is that the United States government, while it was originally founded with the idea that, okay, here are some of these rights that we really want to have from the beginning, and we're going to enumerate them, and that's going to be the reason that we created this government. If we actually pay attention to the history of the United States, that doesn't really work out. Like, if you know anything about what happened immediately after the war, the states are heavily taxing people immediately. Uh, taxes that were actually way more oppressive than the British taxes to pay back the war debt they had for fighting off the British, which is hilarious because the whole reason that the British were upping their taxes against the American colonists was because they wanted to pay off their debt from uh, from the French and Indian war. And so, yeah, there's this, there's a little bit of a cycle here, 
the point being the Americans, the American government kind of immediately started down a path of centralizing power. First, it got rid of the Articles of Confederation for the Constitution, and it put down a number of rebellions that thought that the central government was becoming too powerful and was exercising its power uh, tyrannically. And then, of course, we know what happened during the Civil War, and you know, it became very clear that more power needed to be centralized if you were going to have control over all these states that had uh, attempted to leave the Union. And the further and further we go, the FDR revolution, the Civil Rights Revolution, every one of these are justifications for government centralization. In every case, the government is justifying more and more power. Hey, we need an income tax so we can go ahead and fight and pay for these wars. We can, you know, we can pay for these standing armies that we have to keep around in case we have to, like, I don't know, retake uh, southern states or something. This is something that happened over and over again. And the truth is that governments never really secure rights, at least not directly. So how are they secured? Okay. Here's how they're secured. Again, the only way that we have rights, the only way that it's self-evident about what rights would be is if we have a shared tradition, right? We have to have a shared tradition and understanding. If we don't have those uh, those shared ideas about the moral vision, then nothing can be a self-evident truth. So if we have that, then as a culture, as a people, we share a tradition in which we have a certain way of being, and that way of being establishes certain natural relationships. This is natural law. This is, this is natural law. These are the things that we naturally do, our rhythms of life, our understanding and ways of being that are manifested because of the things that we are imbued with by God. That's where rights come from. And we need that to be able to understand our constitutions. As Joseph, Joseph de Maestra says, and I've explained it several times because I'm a big fan of Joseph de Maestra, each people is imprinted by God with a certain way of being. Spengler hit on this from a non-Christian perspective when he talked about his metaphysical symbols of civilizations. But Joseph de Maestra said, this is just imprinted from God. And constitutions are only ever a reflection of the rights that are already placed on the heart of a people in their tradition and their way of being. It can't be anything else. So no constitution has ever given you your rights either, to be clear. Not the Supreme Court, not Congress, not the Bill of Rights, or even the Constitution of the Declaration of Independence. None of the founding documents give you any of your rights. It is the traditions from, that arise from your people, from their way of being from their understanding of how a community should be shaped that gives rise to, a, to your rights. It is tradition that protects your rights. Those traditions can be written down as ours were in the Constitution, and then they can help you understand, I guess, what you should be doing. But ultimately, the Constitution is never protecting any of your rights. Ultimately, that's not happening. It is the tradition it is the shared understanding that protects your rights against government. Because again, governments start as banditry. They start as uh, people who want to extract wealth from you. And the only way that the people collectively can keep the government from centralizing power and fleecing you from all your, all your worth and taking all of your rights is by having a shared understanding of the good that the government is unable to violate. In the ancient city, uh, Fustel de Colanges explains that 
if Rome wanted to become an empire, it had to break down the power of the family and the old religion. The original religion in Rome was not the great pantheon we think of today, but was actually a worship of the household fire. It was a, the, the, the spirit, it was a form of ancestor worship that came from the sacred flame in the hearth and the land and the place where your parents were buried. That's what gave people their rights. You didn't have property rights because you know you, you were a free liberal individual. You had property rights because your family's bones were literally interred in the ground in the property you had. And if you lost your property, you wouldn't be able to properly worship and sustain your family during their time in the underworld. And so you had a right to your property because there was a shared belief that people should take care of their families. Even after death, they should continue to worship their ancestors and they should uh, uh, continue to hold the feast days and sustain them in all of these things. So you had rights, but the rights were bound inside your tradition. Your rights were bound to your duty to care for your dead relatives and to worship them and to sustain them in the afterlife. They were not some free-floating individual thing. They were tied directly to a religion, directly to a tradition, directly to a way of being, directly to a belief. And the reason that the Roman government couldn't take many of those things early on, the reason that the Roman government had to respect the authority of the different families, the patrician families in Rome, was because the beliefs of the people were too strong. The religion was too strong, and it would not allow the government to steal more, take more, centralize more power. It was the tradition of the people that actually protects your rights. That's where rights come from. Your rights do not come from government. That's true. <laughs> Chris, you know, uh, uh, Heidi Prisbal is very wrong about that. But they also don't come from the Constitution. They don't come, and, and your government does not uh, exist to protect them. Sorry, Founding Fathers. Sorry, I know. But, but that, that little piece of phrasing has, has, has uh, sent a lot of people down the wrong path. It's created a lot of misunderstanding. Your rights come from the protection of a shared culture and a shared way of being. And to be fair, in many ways, the, the founders did understand that, even though that one phrase has created a lot of problems. Many of the founders expressed their understanding that you had to have that shared biblical vision, that shared Christian morality, if the Constitution was going to work at all. So I'm not saying they didn't understand that on some level. I'm just saying some of the language they have used has led people to, uh, to completely remove the idea of rights, of natural rights, from their grounding inside our tradition as a people. And if you don't have that tradition as a people, the rights don't mean anything. And that's what the whole civil rights revolution, the whole story that the left has replaced the founding with, has done. It has pulled all of this out of its Christian context as attempted to create rights as their own narrative, their own justification for the existence of the government. And so you need to be careful about saying the government exists to protect your rights because it doesn't. Actually, the government is always an opponent of your rights. Always. The government is always an opponent of the rights. That doesn't mean, I understand, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not arguing against states. States will exist. Men must be ruled. They will be ruled. That's all there is to it. However, you have to understand that the natural tension always exists. While the state is necessary, I know libertarians get very angry in the comments. 
Well, a state is always necessary. It is always also, to some extent, an enemy of your liberty. And your liberty in this context is your ability to pursue the good wrapped, layered in the understanding of a particular form of virtue, a tradition which defines it. You don't have the virtuous tradition, then you don't have liberty. That's all there is to it. That's where rights actually come from, and that's how they're protected. No government protects your rights. Sorry. Your rights come from a tradition, a shared understanding of value. That's actually where it comes from. All right, guys, let's go ahead and switch over. I've got some questions of the people here real quick. Let me go ahead and switch over. To thing that. that unites all of them. Let's see. Let's go ahead and switch over to the questions of the people. Cooper Weirdo says, MSNPC, the narrative and nothing but it. Yes, the uh, the in, uh, NPC meme. Excellent, sir. Uh, Deuce Bigelow says, do you know the channel uh, Homath? He has a video called Levels, which talks about the ways of, uh, about ways of thinking. And it all uh, almost objectively proves right wing intellectuals have a higher level of consciousness than their left leftist counterparts. Uh, no, I can't say that I'm familiar with that channel or that particular argument, uh, though it does sound interesting. Thank you. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, uh, these are the last gas of wokeness. Really, it's it. Yes. Wokeness is most assuredly on the way out. Yeah. And again, that, that has always been my point. This stuff is too integral to the actual ruling formula of our elites. They cannot pivot away from it. They don't know how. They believe this. And it's also critical to the uh, infrastructure of everything. Their, their patronage network, every bit of this. They cannot, they cannot roll this back. They must push forward because that's what the revolution entails. Uh, our, 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 our revolutionaries are true believers and they will go ahead and continue to push this forward. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, Jesus said, be nice. That's the whole of the law. Yeah. So, so often the case is uh, that that's the only thing Jesus ever said. And the minute you uh, assert anything else from the Bible, we're fine uh, using, using Jesus said, be nice uh, whenever we're pushing our political agenda. But the minute you notice that Jesus might have said some other things that aren't as popular with the current spirit of the age. All of a sudden, uh, we're not as big fans of the Bible. And it turns out it's just Christian nationalism. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up. I want to thank you so much for coming by. Of course, if this is your first time coming by the channel, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you turn on notifications. Click the bell. All the stuff you need to do to make sure you can see these streams when they go live. And if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the Orrin McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. When you do give the show a rating or review, it really helps with the algorithm magic. And of course, make sure that if you have not pre-ordered my book, The Total State, it will be coming out May 7th. It's available on everything. You've got Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books Million, wherever books are sold, you can probably go ahead and order The Total State there. Make sure that you go ahead and do that. Thank you for watching, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.